Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of The Comic Source. I'm your host, Jace. And this is Jay. This is your new Comics Wednesday episode for February 23rd, 2022. Uh, quite a few books this week. We're not going to talk about as many as we normally might because uh, there's a ton of Marvel books. Um, but we got them kind of late and Jay didn't get a chance to read everything he might have otherwise. So, uh, but we are going to talk about a couple of uh, non-Marvels and some Marvels and we'll run down the list as usual of other things you may want to be on the lookout for. Don't forget if you want to find out about the DC stuff, it's on our DC spotlight that came out yesterday. That one has spoilers. We do a deep dive. There were 16 books. It was a huge week. Rocky and I got into it on a couple of them. (laughs) So be forewarned. Uh, yeah, it was a big episode. So anyway, let's dive into some books here, starting with uh, a new title from Image from Cy Spurrier with some really, really cool looking art. Actually, the art was, uh, yeah, it's hard to overstate how fantastic the art was in this one. Um, and it's by Mateus Bergara. And then the colors are by uh, Mateus Lopez there's no letter because there's not really any words in the book, uh, but it's called Step by Bloody Step. And it certainly shows the power of sequential storytelling, the way you can tell a story with just pictures. So what do you think of this, Jay? Uh, I was just looking forward to this book because uh, I like the artwork. And uh, all I can say is if you don't need words, if the book is this good with the, with the art, because it shows the expressions of the, the characters, you know what's going on, you kind of follow it. Um, it's pretty much like I said, it, it's no spoiler. They tell you that's, you know, about a, a, a machine robot with a, with a child and they're on an adventure. Um, we don't know if they're running away or trying to get to a destination. Uh, but it's like I said, the artwork is beautiful. You get to watch them as they have uh, encounters with different beings and creatures along the way. We do get um, some clues to more of the story, like, you know, the powers uh, what they have and whatnot. I don't want to spoil it, but you got to catch it because you'll be like, okay. And the very end, there's uh, it kind of leave open for for more coming on. So you know, there's uh, there's there's actually villains or not, or who's actually the villain. I, it's got me uh, very interested. I can't wait for the next issue. It's just like I said, the artwork itself just had me hooked. Yeah, I mean, do we know for sure if it's an ongoing? Because I can see it being, hey, this was it. Uh, it's supposed to be four issues. I, I looked gotcha. into that, so it's four issues. Gotcha. Okay. Cool. Uh, yeah, I mean, I took a look at it. I, I didn't look at it that closely um, because, again, there's no there's no narrative uh, in terms of words. Everything is just sequential storytelling, and so it's it's a book. I feel like okay, uh, obviously I had the preview copy, but I want to you know pick up a physical copy so I have the art you know right in front of me and I can kind of pour over it and figure out the story. Uh, cause yeah, it looks fantastic. The color work as well from Mateus Lopez looked really good also. Um, all right. Well, first book I'm going to talk about is also an image book. It's the second issue of Aerosmith from writer Kurt Busick, art by Carlos Pacheco. We have Jose Rafael Fontarez on inks. Jose Villarubia does the colors, Tyler Smith and Jimmy Betancourt on the letters and the design. And this book is so cool. Just the the concept of Aerosmith, the world having 
sort of evolved or history has played out in a different way where magic is more of a thing. The United States is called Columbia because it was discovered by Columbus. Uh, the, the UK or, or England is called Albion, you know, which is sort of an ancient term for it. Uh, so it's, it's really cool. And it's World War One that's being fought, but it's with spells and soldiers that have little pet dragons that allow them to fly. Uh, and that's the equivalent of the Air Force. And so it's, it's very much a, sort of a throwback style um, mixing sort of the modern you know, not that modern because again, 1920s, but, uh, you know, or more modern world tied in with sort of a fantasy, almost like a King Arthur type uh, story, or maybe some shades of J.R.R. Tolkien. And the Carlos Pacheco art is super detailed and really gorgeous. Uh, I just, the book is just so much fun. It, it, it feels classic. It feels um, sort of innocent in a way. Um, you know, not to say there aren't bad guys and it is war. So there are terrible things that happen, but it's just, it's a throwback type of book. Uh, you know, it's set in the past and it, it has sort of the aesthetic of a, a more innocent time. And it's just, it's, it's really, really fun. The main character's name is Fletcher Aerosmith. That's where the title of the book comes from. He's a very intriguing and sympathetic character. Um, and there are like rock trolls and other uh, there's an oak man at one, one point we see it's basically a guy like a walking tree that's walking around. So, yeah, there's a lot of fun, fantastical and magical elements like that. But again, beautiful art, great scripting by uh, Busick. It's the, the book. The story is narrated by Aerosmith himself. Um, we're kind of reading his uh, his journal as the story unfolds. So highly recommend it. It's definitely worth your time. Uh, okay, Jay's next book is Two Moons, number 10. I guess this is the last of the series, at least for now. Uh, written by writer John Arcudi. Art is by Valerio Jean Giordano. Colors by Jeremy Cox and letters by Michael Heisler. Uh, what do you think of this one? It was good. It's uh, been a fun series. Um, the Ghost War was really kind of... Uh... I guess dealt more with the, uh, the Native American spiritual aspect of nature with the, you know, they're talking to the spirits and their ancestors. It was fun. Um, there's a lot of action in the story. Uh, I don't want to give away too much, but we know that uh, the ghosts are helping out uh, the main character of Virgil. The ending, though, it kind of leaves you wanting a little bit more. But I mean, if they want, they could just be done with it. But I, I'm hoping they don't because I did enjoy the character a lot. And um, I'm, I don't know. I guess we'll have to wait till the summertime. I guess is what they said. Yeah, but it's, it yeah. was a fun. It was a fun way to tie though the this first I guess arc of the story because it was only ten issues. So I don't know if they're going to go to eleven or they just start you know uh, with a number new number one or not. Yeah, I, I think they probably just need a break. They've been on a monthly schedule for ten months, so they're probably just giving the artist a chance to get caught up. Uh, okay. Next book I'm going to talk about is a Marvel book. Uh, it's Black Widow number 14 from writer Kelly Thompson, Elena Casagrande on pencils, Elisabetta D'Amico on inks, Jordi Blair on colors, Corey Petit on letters, Adam Hughes with a fantastic cover as always. Uh, and the, the art, Elena Casagrande, I've talked about it a lot, how fantastic her art is and no, uh, no exception for this issue. A lot of action as 
Black Widow Natasha's taken on this uh, sort of legendary figure. Um, this guy from her days in Madripoor called the Living Blade, and uh, just just the name strikes fear in in the people that kind of run around in Natasha's circles, and so this is her. I won't say fighting him, but trying to challenge him, trying to to deal with what he represents. I mean, Natasha is one of the best fighters in the in the Marvel universe. And so for her to be, you know, afraid of this guy, that pretty much says it all. So um, she's trying to save her friends. She's trying to, you know, accomplish her mission. These superpower beings being auctioned off. She's trying to free them all in the midst of being hunted down by this living blade as she's uh, in the, the headquarters of this sort of superhuman trafficking uh, ring, if you will. So great narrative, a lot of action. Um really fun supporting cast that uh, Natasha has right now. And yeah, it's, I mean, this book is fantastic. There's a reason that it won Eisner for best series last year. So um, highly recommended again, fantastic Adam Hughes cover, great color work, great dialogue. If you're a fan of black widow, and that's one of the things that Kelly Thompson does really, really well. Like, if you're a fan of the Black Widow from the movie, you get a little bit of that sort of feel and tone. But if you're a fan of Black Widow from way back in the day, from the, from the comics, you know, um, Kelly Thompson pulls in a lot of that as well. So she's my favorite when it comes to writing Natasha. Best I've ever read uh, in terms of giving Natasha an authentic voice. I'm a huge Kelly Thompson fan. And uh, yeah, having the supporting cast of like Hawkeye and Winter Soldier and uh, Anya in here is uh, White Widow, Elena Belova. Um, it's almost a team book in a lot of ways. So I love it. Uh, all right. Up next for Jay, Amazing Spider-Man number 90. It's continuing the Beyond story from writer Patrick Gleason, Mark Bakley on pencils. We have Andrew Hennessy, John Dell, Andy Owens, Wayne Faulkner, and Victor Olazaba on inks. So that might explain a little bit of the inconsistency of the art because um, so many guys inking vaguely. So I don't, I don't know what that was about. Uh, but anyway, Brian Valenza, Diho Lima, and Andrew Crosley on colors, and then Joe Caramagna on, uh, on letters. So, yeah, Pete against uh, Queen Goblin. What do you think? Well, I was happy that they kind of stuck with the story this time because I know they had to take a break and do the uh, the B series or the B run, you know, whatever they call it. But they're not bad either. But I was looking forward to this, and so we can see what's going on with Ben because we know previously uh, we don't know if Ben's memory is like totally wiped or you know does he still have the uh, the moral compass like Peter does. So some of those questions do kind of get answered. Um, the battle is just uh, painful to see Peter do that because, you know, he's not 100 percent. So, I mean, that's what I like about the character, I guess. I think a lot of fans like it because, yeah, he's a superhero, but he's also, you know, if he's hurt, you know, you're going to he's going to show his emotions that, you know, he's hurt and he's barely getting through it. But, you know, he's just that uh, he knows he's got to do what he's got to do. The fight team wasn't too terrible, but, you know, I, I'm not too sure if I like this character or not, but she does kind of mess with Peter a little bit in the story. Uh, the ending, I think, was like the best panel because, you know, we finally get that team up that I've, I've been wanting for a while. So I'm looking forward to the next issue. Uh, Spider-Man hasn't 
been disappointing. The artwork is good. And yeah, you can kind of tell there's a little bit of difference in the inking, but it kind of flows pretty good. So, I, I mean, like I said, the last panel was great. It's almost as good as the last panel of uh, Black Widow. So I was just like, uh, <laughs> so I'm going to see what happens with that story. Yeah. Um, seeing the consequences of the memories that, uh, that Ben Riley has lost is, is interesting. Uh, I feel, I feel bad for that guy. He can never catch a break. So hoping, <laughs> yeah. Hoping that it all works out for him in the end. Oh, it's, got that Peter luck. it's got that Peter yeah. luck, you know? Yeah. <laughs> but even worse, even worse yeah. than Peter luck. And he gets messed with a lot. <laughs> yeah. Feel bad for the guy. Uh, but speaking of Ben Riley, uh, that's my next book. It's Ben Riley, Spider-Man number two. From writer J.M. Demetrius, David Baldione on art, Israel Silva does colors, Joe Caramagna on letters. Uh, he goes up against Scorpion. We saw the Scorpion show up uh, last issue. So this one's part two, Where is, my, uh, where is Thy Sting? Um, and yeah, like we were just talking about, poor Ben, he, he can never catch a break. And it's not 100% clear. You know, he's trying to put his life back together. He's trying to do the right thing. But toward the end of the book, you start wondering, and even Ben starts wondering, is like what's real and and what is is not, and who's messing with them, and why are all these villains coming at him at once? And yeah, he he can't he can't catch a break. He can't, it's really yeah, you you can't help but feel bad for the guy. You really can't. Um, so one thing about the book, though, like when I talked about the first one, I, I, I talked about it being sort of an out, out of continuity book. And uh, David Baldione corrected me, said, no, it's in it's in continuity. But I'm not sure on the timing, because the thing that threw me off was the fact that it says that Peter and MJ are like in the Pacific Northwest because Mary Jane's pregnant. So I'm not sure exactly how this fits in or where or what. Um, I just know that Ben Riley's picked up the spider-man mantle so uh jm demitase is gonna be on the show next month we'll we'll certainly be talking about this book and maybe be able to to pin it down uh, a little better but it's certainly enjoyable certainly fits in with the spider-man mythos and uh yeah it's it's kind of making me want to go back and read the um read the uh clone saga which i never thought i would ever ever want to go back and read that so uh, i guess in that way this has been a, a fun ride so uh all right up next for jay i'm i'm gonna guess this is your book of the week my date with monsters number four the dog is fine by writer paul tobin andy mcdonald on art dj chavez on colors taylor esposito on letters from aftershock what do you think Oh, it's one of those books. I don't know what it is about Aftershock, but they just seem to come out with books that I really look forward to reading first. But uh, this story has been fun. It's very unique. Uh, we know that uh, your nightmares become real and they try to suppress it with drugs and all that. Um, Risa is like the main uh, person that uh, is trying to find a cure for it, I guess, because she helped create it. Croak um, is her psychic, which is uh, a dream monster, but not really kind of helps her out by eating other monsters. And she has a daughter. So as we know in the last issue that they have a facility that they uh, try to get uh, military people, men and women, to try to uh, guess be the 
best uh, partner for uh, Risa so she can, you know, uh, be happy and have good dreams of having nightmares. But we also got like the main villain was this Chub who some it's like a totally different uh, nightmare that just uh, just does what it wants and just destroys everything. So in the last issue, uh, this creature is already destroying the facility where they're trying to help Risa, you know, uh, find like the perfect mate. And this is where the story picks up. Um, it's fun because we get to see a little more of the other world and how it interacts with the human beings, which is kind of fun. Um, we see the daughter trying to live a normal life if she can. So it's kind of neat to see that aspect. And then we got the, the, the meetup with uh, Chubb and all the characters. But it didn't really go the way I thought it was going to go. But uh, the ending's good. Uh, I can't wait for the next issue. And uh, like I said, it's just a very unique story. And I enjoy the characters a lot. Yeah, um, the ending was really was really fun. Um, but yeah, it's this whole story has been pretty wild. Uh, and you can't blame Risa for being pissed off when she finds out there's a, this facility. She keeps calling it creepy. And it's it is. I mean, there's this whole military facility out there where people are learning how to like get her into when, bed. Yeah, just have sex with her. Or, you know, like, winter, it, uh, winter yeah. over. <laughs> yeah, it's really, it's really creepy. She's right. So, but yeah, great book, great concept for sure. Uh, all right. <clears throat> Up next for me, uh, Captain Marvel number 36. This is from writer Kelly Thompson, art by Sergio Davila, inks by Sean Parsons and Roberto Poggi, Eric Arsenega on colors, Clayton Cal on letters. Um, you know, I said before how great Kelly Thompson is at giving a voice to uh, Natasha Romanov or Black Widow. Same thing is true of, of Carol Danvers. She, I mean, don't get me wrong. I love the Kelly Sue DeConnick stuff and I love the Margaret Stoll stuff, but for me, Kelly Sue, De- uh, Kelly Thompson is, uh, is the best when it comes to writing Carol. And this uh, last of the Marvel storyline has been really fun because we've seen all these different Captain Marvels um, be, captured by uh, by Vox Supreme and be and be pitted against Carol and Carol has managed to overcome each obstacle and one of the things that she's done lately to overcome those obstacles is is have to sort of create an energy version of herself uh, and the energy version of herself sort of looks like her binary identity that she had for a little while back in the 80s and well, the first time she did it, she just reabsorbed that binary energy and she was kind of back to her normal self. The second time she did it, that binary version of herself that she created seems to like be its own being. Like it has its own sentience, its own consciousness, its own like physical presence. Um, and she doesn't reabsorb it. And it seems to be growing and learning. It even talks now and like, that's just a really cool, because it's a part of Carol's history. And it's a part that doesn't get mentioned or talked about that much. I think it was maybe not the right um, direction to take with the character, but it still happened. It still existed. And I love that Kelly uh, Thompson is, is acknowledging it and bringing it in here um, and having it show up. On the other side of that, like besides the coolness of that, this is just a big all out brawl. You know, we saw at the end of last issue that uh, a bunch of the Calvary showed up 
to help fight Vox Supreme and fight these other Marvels, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, the Avengers. And so in this one, all these um, all these other beings who are in these uh, sort of evil Captain Marvel looking uniforms uh, as possessed by, you know, Vox Supreme go up against pretty much a who's who of cosmic heroes and, and Avengers and whatnot. So it ends up being a really fun issue in terms of a lot of action, but there's not a whole lot other than just the resolution of this battle with Vox Supreme. So, but I'm really looking forward to seeing what happens with binary because uh, it's just fun. It's just fun to see this, uh, this character come back with a little bit of a, a new look. So we'll see how that, we'll see how that plays out. Uh, all right. Next book I'll talk about is Silver Surfer Rebirth number two. This is definitely a trip down memory lane because it's written by Ron Mars and the pencils are by Ron Lim. And that was like the classic creative team on a Silver Surfer back in the day in the late 80s. That was just a whole lot of fun. So in addition to those two, we have Don Ho on inks, Israel Silva on colors and Joe Sabino on letters. We saw at the end of last issue that Silver Surfer uh, or Thanos showed up, uh, killed Captain Marvel, who Silver Surfer had been teamed up with. Um, but some things were like shifting around and you weren't sure, was it time travel? Was it shifting in a different dimension? Like what exactly was going on with the Surfer and why was reality, you know, not reality? So um, there's a little bit of a fight with Thanos here, but not a, a whole lot. We learn what's behind the, the shifting of reality, and it appears as though we're going to have uh, Silver Surfer and Thanos teaming up rather than fighting, which is always an interesting dynamic. This is not the first time they've teamed up. Thanos has certainly become more of an anti-hero than a, a straight-up villain, and it's been that way for a long time just because he's so popular of a character pretty much ever since uh, the first Infinity Gauntlet series. Um, there's times where he's been on the heroic side. I mean, he was even a member of Adam Warlock's infinity watch and that's, you know, definitely a, a team you would consider, you know, a team of good guys as it were. Um, so this is a, like I said, a really fun series. It's great to kind of see the band back together, very nostalgic. And we get at the end of this, we get, uh, we don't know who the big bad is yet. We see him only in shadow, see him off panel talking, but he has somebody who's working for him, kind of his, his number one enforcer henchman. And it's another classic eighties Marvel character who I feel like never showed up enough. Cause I love the way he looks like, I love his costume. It's so awesome. Uh, and it hasn't changed. It's still very eighties in a lot of ways. Um, but what's really interesting is this character, you know, for as much as he hasn't been used uh, and, and has been criminally underused, he's this is the third book I've seen him in in like span of a couple of weeks. So maybe he's going to get his own series. Who knows? But uh, it was just great to see him. And I can't wait to, to see more of him in the next issue of, uh, of Silver Surfer Rebirth. So uh, you have any idea who I'm talking about, Jay? I know you haven't had a chance to read it yet. Oh yeah, I read it. <laughs> oh, okay, gotcha. It's, so it's kind of fun. It's like okay, yeah. so yeah. yeah, yeah, you're right. It hasn't changed at all. It's like wow, no. it's so good. His costume's so good. Oh yeah. 
Uh, all right. Up next, Iron Man number 17 from writer Christopher Catwell. Art is by Ibrahim Roberson with Angel Unzetta. Colors by Frank Diarmada. Letters by Joe Caramagna. Awesome Alex Ross cover as usual. Tony's given everybody in New York the same level of intelligence that he himself has. The way he was able to do this is because he has the power cosmic. And things don't exactly go well. You got people that are pulling off really sophisticated heights, uh, heists rather, stock market's not all that great considering, you know, everybody's able to manipulate it. Like it's a bit, it's a bit of chaos. And when Tony's friends confront him, um, things don't exactly go the way you would want it. I mean, it doesn't, it's not a big stretch and it's not a spoiler to say, okay, if you give Tony Stark the power of omnipotence, you think things will go well or things will not go well. And don't get me wrong. um, It's not that Tony has bad intentions. He always has the best of intentions, but it's one of the things that the MCU version of Tony Stark which don't get me wrong. I love that um, Robert Downey Jr. portrayed him. I didn't think that RDJ was going to do a good job. And I I said that everywhere. Uh, And then I was the first one to admit I was wrong. He did a good job uh, of making the character his own, but it wasn't the Tony Stark from the comics, at least not, not the way Tony Stark was before. Now, one of the things that happened because of the popularity of the MCU and that version was all of a sudden the, the Tony Stark in the comics became more like Robert Downey Jr.'s portrayal. I know that Christopher Cantwell is trying to go, to get away from that in a lot of ways. And he's talked about it on this podcast before um, about wanting to get back to the roots. And that's what the story has been about. It's what the series is about tearing Tony down so you can build him back up. But what I will say, one of the things that is true of Tony and always has been in the comics and it's true of the portrayal that Robert Downey Jr. gave us is that Tony's always his own worst enemy. You know, he, he can't see the forest for the trees and he makes decisions based on the end, just justifying the means. And that's not always the case. And a lot of people get hurt along the way. So uh, I would definitely say Christopher Catwell is staying true to the character. Uh, the art in the issue is is pretty solid. There, there's a lot of exposition and it's a little bit of a dialogue heavy issue. So the panels tend to be a little small. Uh, but that being said, there's still plenty of detail and it, it feels like you get a big chunk of story. So really curious to see where this one uh, winds up. I think there's basically two more issues. I think I read where Christopher Cantwell said uh, 19 issues basically finishes off his first big story of, uh, of Tony Stark. So, uh, all right. I got to talk about Ghost Rider number one. It has like 27,000 covers because it's a Marvel number one. Um, <laughs> it's Benjamin Percy taking on Ghost Rider. Corey Smith is the artist. Brian Villains on colors. Travis Lanham on, uh, on letters. I thought the art was, was pretty solid. Uh, it didn't blow me away. Uh, by Corey Smith, but I thought it was, it was pretty good. Um, I wish the colors were a little brighter. It sort of gives it a real somber mood by giving us some, some colors where they're not very bright. They're a little muted. Maybe that's what they were going for. Uh, You know, a feel of a more sort of somber supernatural type story. Uh, But I don't know. I like it when, 
I like it when his flames look like they're, you know, leaping off the page with, with light and energy. And that's not the case here. Uh, it, it definitely feels like Benjamin Percy's going for more of the horror aesthetic, which isn't my favorite direction to take Ghost Rider in, but it's Johnny Blaze as Ghost Rider. So right away, I'm going to be down with that. And the fact that he's on a motorcycle and not a car like Robbie Reyes, because I'm sorry, Ghost Rider should never be in a car. It's a motorcycle. That's yeah. where the rider part comes in. And I get it. Like you ride in a car, but it's not the same. It's not the same. Robbie Ray shouldn't be called Ghost Rider. Call him something else. Diablo or something. I, I don't know. Um, but anyway, th- this is an intriguing start. Um, don't know if it stays really leaning into the horror and supernatural. If I'll, if I'll stay on for the whole thing, but it's an intriguing start um, and creepy at times and scary at times. And yeah, a lot to like different, different take on Johnny blaze in terms of origin and, and whatnot. So, uh, but it, it might work. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. It's a, it's a double-sized first issue. Um, so if you're a fan of Johnny blaze, check it out again. It's a little bit of a different take. Um, but you sort of also take everything you read in the issue with a grain of salt, because uh, it may be that what Johnny is seeing and feeling and, and the life he's living isn't um, isn't reality. So, uh, all right, last book. This is my book of the week. Um, it's super massive. It's from writer Kyle Higgins, Ryan Parrott, Matt Groom, illustrated by Francesco Mana, with assistance from Melanie Palladino with uh, Simone Ragazzoni on pages 24 through 33 and 46 through 50. Also, Marcella Costa, Abel, and Erica DeRusso, pages 19 through 21. It's colored by Igor Monti, lettered by Becca Carey. It basically gives a chance for Radiant Black, Infernal Girl Red, and Rogue Sun to team up. It's big. It's over the top. It's bombastic. It's got great color work. And if you dislike me in any way, shape, or form, or my annoying opinions uh, at times, then you probably really enjoy pages four and five of this book. And that's all that I'll say um, in regards to that. But in regards to the, the rest of the story, it, yeah, it's fun. It's, it, it shows the potential of the massive, massive verse, as they call it. I uh, love to see more of Rogue Sun and Inferno Girl Red. We know Inferno Girl Red's uh, debut graphic, uh, original graphic novel will be coming later this year from Matt Groom. I think next week Rogue Sun comes out from uh, Ryan Parrott. So we'll be learning more about that character. And then obviously Radiant Black continues to be one of the best superhero comics out there. So uh, I, I love this. I thought it was fun. It It's a good blending I think of all the different tones of these three books. Now, granted, I haven't read Infernal Girl Red yet, but I trust Matt Groom. And based on the fact that when Marshall Radiant Black is sort of getting the spotlight, it feels like the Radiant Black book. Like it feels like his character is you know pulled out of that book and he's giving us the same aesthetic and the same kind of feel of being kind of fun and over the top and there's humor um i've read rogue one already 
Rogue Son one. Uh, and the, the tone of that book, I think, is portrayed well by when Rogue Son is basically on screen, we'll call it, in this issue. So based on that, uh, and based on the fact that the three writers, you know, the writer for Radiant Black, Kyle Higgins, the writer for Inferno Girl Red, Matt Groom, the writer for Rogue Son, Ryan Parrott, are the three writers that are putting this together. I think they're blending all the styles and tones of their, you know, various books into a really cool story here. And it, it, it's very classic and feel of uh, a fun tie-in or a fun crossover, you know, superhero crossover that is really massive because the threat they face is big. Um, and I, you know, it's, I don't think it's a stretch to say with their massive verse that this is not going to be the last time these three characters team up. So the other thing that's fun about it is it's a good jumping on point or good introduction to these characters. You don't need to know anything about any of these characters because none of us really know that much about Rogue Sun. And we don't know hardly anything about Inferno Girl Red yet. Uh, if you've been reading the Radiant Black series, you'll get more out of this and have a little more context uh, for Marshall or Radiant uh, Black. But you don't, it's not necessary. You can still pick this up and read it just on its own. And so, um, yeah, I thought it was fantastic. I keep flipping through it, checking out the art, which is just super dynamic and really bright and fun. I mean, this is what a, a superhero comic should be. Um, and it's a complete story. Uh, it doesn't leave you hanging, but it certainly had me feeling like I want more of these characters. I want more of them teaming up. I just want more of the, the massive verse in general. So I can't say enough about how fantastic it is. Uh, every cover that I have seen is great. So, uh, highest possible recommendation, really, really loved it. Uh, okay. Let me give a rundown on some of the other books that you might want to be on the lookout for today. Uh, over at, let me get to the top over at Aftershock. In addition to, um, Jay's book of the week. Uh, my Day with Monsters, we have uh, Cross to Bear, number four, which brings that series to a close. It was, it, was, it was a fun and satisfying conclusion. I thought the art wasn't quite as sharp as it had been up to that point. Um, but definitely, I mean, the story is Jack the Ripper in the Wild West. So I think that's all you really need to say in order to sell that book. And it, it like I said, it finishes up with a very satisfying conclusion. Uh, we also have... Heathens number four uh, from Aftershock out this week. Uh, from AWA, Not All Robots trade paperback is out. And then Telepaths number six of six, which is in the, the J. Michael Straczynski verse over there at uh, AWA. From Boom, a couple of uh, important books. All New Firefly number one. It's called All New Firefly. Uh, Berserker number seven of 12. That's the book that's written by Matt Kent and Keanu Reeves. House of Slaughter from James Tyne is up to issue number five. Uh, over at Dark Horse, Joy Operations number four of five is out. That, that book is so good. So good with gorgeous art from Stephen Byrne. Great story from Brian Michael Bendis. We talked about, uh, Brian and I talked about it a few weeks ago when he was on the show. Um, can't wait to read that. Uh, the DC Spotlight, like I mentioned, we talked about all these DC books. We've got Action Comics number 1040. Aquaman, number one, Batman versus Bigby, a wolf 
in Gotham number six, Catwoman number 40, uh, Deathstroke Incorporated number six, Detective Comics number 1054, Hardware season one number four, Harley Quinn number 12, Human Target number five. It's got fantastic art from uh, Greg Smallwood, best work of his career. Uh, Robin is up to number 11. Task Force Z, number five. Teen Titans Academy, number 12. Only three issues of that one to go. It's ending with 15. And then uh, Wonder, Wo- Wonder Woman Evolution, number four, from Stephanie Phillips and, uh, and Mike Hawthorne. Uh, over at Image, in addition to the books we talked about, we have Bolero, number two. Deadly Class, number 51. Excellence, volume two. Collects the second arc of that. Trade paperback from Kari Randolph and uh, Brandon Thomas. <laughs> Drew a blank there for a second. Um, wait, is it Brandon Thomas? Now I'm now I'm questioning myself. Because um, I always get him. Yeah, Brandon Thomas. Because I always get him and Brandon Easton mixed up. Uh, also, Gunslinger Spawn, number five, is out. Philadelphia is up to number 19. Uh, and Saga. 56 book has been back. I don't even think for a full month. Um, I think it's been a full month since 55 came out. So I don't know, maybe they're uh, the creators have, have missed it so much that they're putting it out faster than a monthly schedule, or maybe it has been a month and it's just time, time flies. Uh, all right. A couple of other Marvel books that I didn't talk about carnage forever. Number one is out dark ages. Number five. I wanted to talk about it in detail, but there wasn't a whole lot to say about that one. Um, Ivan Coelho does the art and it's fantastic. That story is written by, uh, by Tom Taylor. And number five is a bit of a setup issue. We get a, a look at Apocalypse's plans for uh, what he wants to do uh, to sort of take over the world. Uh, and the heroes are preparing to battle him. So again, a lot of setup in that one. Uh, Devil's Reign, Villains for Hire, number two, basically shows us uh, that we saw at the end of issue one where U.S. agent came in and basically told Wilson Fisk, hey, I'm going to take over the Thunderbolts and run them for you. So this is basically uh, the story of him and what his agenda is. Uh, Electra, Black, White and Blood, number two of four, which gives a bunch of different Electra stories. Uh, we talked about Ghost Rider already. Uh, Miles Morales, Spider-Man, uh, number 35, which also is a bit of a setup issue as um Miles and uh, what, what's his, um, do you remember what his clone, I want to say Switch, but. Uh, yeah, weird name. <laughs> it's like Switch or uh, I can't remember. Anyway, his, his clone that always says Glorp, uh, Miles and him battle some classic Miles Morales villains. Uh, and then at the end, Miles makes a decision that, you just know as a reader that it's not going to go well. It's just not going to go well. So we'll see how that plays out next issue. Maybe I'll talk about that one in a little more detail. Miss um, Marvel Beyond the Limit, number three of five. Uh, Phoenix Song Echo, number five of five, finishes off that series. It was pretty poignant and fun. It definitely um, ended in a satisfying way. Uh, I won't say necessarily a happy ending, but uh, a little predictable in a way, but still very, very enjoyable. I feel like I have a much better um, 
handle on who Maya Lopez is as a character because I hadn't read anything with her before. Um, but what's interesting is the way that it ends, it, it sets up in such a way f- that she's knows that she needs to learn more about who she is. So I think even at this point, she's not fully fleshed out as a character. Um, but they sort of leaned into that in the story. And so I, I liked that it was sort of that. Yeah, she's not maybe as fleshed out as she could be, but that's because her, even her as a person, she's not as mature. She still has a lot to learn. So I thought Rebecca Roanhorse, the writer, did a, a fantastic job of, uh, of show, showcasing that. Uh, Shang-Chi number nine is also out. Silk number two. Uh, we have Strange Academy number 16. Uh, oh, there is a second printing of Star Wars Crimson Rain. Uh, if you're if you missed that the first time around there's also a second printing of the thor number 20 uh and a second printing of timeless number one um what if has a big omnibus it's uh, volume two of the omnibus and then finally x deaths of wolverine number three of five which is really paying off a lot of the future timeline stuff that we saw in house of x powers of 10 um so that's interesting uh, because we know Jonathan Hickman has had his final say, uh, at least in terms of him actually writing stuff. Um, obviously, they still have his plans and his blueprints or whatever. So Benjamin Percy's, you know, still using his playbook. But people that complained about all this stuff that Hickman planted in those first two series that none of it's ever been mentioned again. Well, make sure you're reading uh, X deaths or 10 deaths of, uh, of Wolverine because they are paying off some of that stuff. Uh, all right. Last thing I'll mention is over at Valiant, we have, um, where is it? Harbinger number five uh, is also out today. So, uh, and I don't know if everybody saw the announcement, but Liam Sharp is going to be jumping on to Exo Manowar coming up later this year, I think in October or November. So that that's just like a dream matchup. Like if there's any artist who was born to illustrate Exo Manowar, it's Liam Sharp. Guy's just fantastic, fantastic artist and very visceral and gothic in a way. Uh, you know, it's great Conan artists did that amazing work on uh, the Green Lantern with Grant Morrison. So, man, I, I haven't read Exxon in a long time, but I'm definitely picking it up if Liam's drawn it. Uh, anyway, I'm sure you have some more uh, books to mention that I didn't. Jay, what do you got? Oh, I got a uh, Vault Comics, uh, Radio Apocalypse number two. That's by uh, written by Ram V. The first one was pretty good, so I just want to see where they're going with it. I think they're going to be like little mini stories that are connected with the radio station, but it's pretty cool. It was, you know, the apocalypse time. It's been fun. Um, then Scout Comics has uh, Distorted, number one. Uh, that's written by Salvatore uh, Bezizo. I probably said that totally wrong. <laughs> and then Gabrielle Falzone does the art. Uh, the reason I'm interested in this story is because it's in a world where there's no hero, superheroes, but I guess some people do have powers, but they use it for just to be criminals. So I just want to see how they go with that. So it seems kind of interesting. Gotcha. And that's pretty much the, the two that I'm looking forward to. Fantastic. Uh, well, that's going to do it for this episode, everybody. Make sure you go and pick up Supermassive. Uh, that's, that's, yeah, there's only one book you pick up this week. Supermassive <laughs> should be it. So my day with Monster is really good as well. Uh, but that's going to do it for this episode. Don't forget about Spawn Daily. 
uh, as well as we continue to uh, take a look at Spawn issue by issue to celebrate the 38th anniversary of Image Comics and Spawn. So that's going to do it. We appreciate you joining us as always, and we'll talk to you next time. Thank you. You can find the Comic Source Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or whichever podcasting app you prefer. Please tell all your friends about us, subscribe, and rate us. The ratings really help with our visibility and our ability to reach new listeners, especially five-star reviews on Apple. Also be sure to visit us at lrmonline.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover all our other great pop culture content. If you want to email us, the email address is thecomicsourceblog at gmail.com, or you can follow us on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash thecomicsource. Do a search for The Comic Source on Facebook and Instagram to follow us on those social platforms. All three spots are great places to find out when we release new episodes as well as follow all our convention coverage. So once again, we want to thank everyone for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.